0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order, additional term supply. Presented by T Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today.
1: This guy is a machine. All he does is work out and pick uh, winners.
2: Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Oregon's down by 12. They're on the 45-yard line with no timeouts. Oregon's got an all-american field goal kicker. Why didn't somebody tell me? Chicago Sports Betting Show. Touchdown, Ohio State. There are some folks who are celebrating oh, oh, no. and others who are saying, You've gotta be kidding. You kind of know what I'm thinking about. Over or under. Under would be the key word. <laughs>
5: Welcome to Early Odds here on 670 The Score. I'm Rick Camp in for Joe Ostrowski, getting a well-deserved week off before the NFL season kicks off, and man, it is almost here. I'm broadcasting live from The Score Hyundai Studios. Visit your local Hyundai dealer today, and we have a jam-packed next hour leading into Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw. They're here with you from 9 until 11. Part of the reason we're so busy today is I kind of want to shine a light. If you haven't heard or haven't had a chance to listen to the BetQL network yet, for one thing, you should be. 5 to 8 a.m., The Daily Tip with Michael Jenkins and Chelsea Messenger. 8 to 11 a.m., BetQL Daily with Joe Ostrowski, our guy, and Joe Giglio. 2 to 6 p.m., Is You Better You Bet with Nick Costos and Ken Barkley. And 6 to 10 p.m., BetMGM Tonight with Ryan Horvat and Quentin Mayo. I work on You Better You Bet, and I honestly think it is a fantastic show that people should be checking out. Of course, if you're betting, but also if you're just a sports fan that wants some lighthearted but really good analysis. So we're going to shine a light today on You Better You Bet because I think we've had some really great content on the show this week. And hey, I'm biased. I run the board for the show. I give picks on the show, but I want you to be the judge for yourself. So on the show today, We're going to listen to a conversation that Nick and Ken had that I thought was really informative and actionable about the Defensive Player of the Year market. We're going to hear from John Murray of the Westgate Superbook on some college football markets, Drew Silva from NBC Sports Edge on MLB Futures and the awards market, and I'll have a conversation with Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse. But I don't want to waste any time, so let's jump into a conversation that Nick Costos and Ken Barkley had on You Better You Bet. About the defensive player of the year market in the NFL.
3: Chase Young is a 12 to 1. 29% of the money's on Chase Young to be defensive player of the year, 23% of the bets. Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns is 6 to 1, 28% of the money. 13% of the bets. T.J. Watt of the Steelers, 7-1, to currently in a hold-in. T.J. Watt is right now waiting for a new contract from Pittsburgh, 13% of the money, 13% of the bets. Khalil Mack, pass rusher of the Chicago Bears, obviously 20-1, to 7% of the money, 11% of the bets. And Darius Leonard, the newly minted, highest paid inside linebacker in the history of football, 33-1, to 4% of the money, 4% of the bets. The rest of the odds board here, and I'm going to name a lot of names here, Kings. I think it's, it's really interesting, and I think there's a case to be made for a lot of these guys. Aaron Donald at 4, Miles Garrett 6, TJ Watt 7, Nick Bosa 11, Joey Bosa 12, Chase Young 12, Khalil Mack 20, Derwin James back from injury and Brandon Staley's defense, 25 to 1. We've got a lot of big-name players at 33 to 1, including Stephon Gilmore, Devin White and Tredavious White, uh, Darius Leonard, Daniil Hunter, Shaq Barrett, Von Miller, Jalen Ramsey, J.J. Watt. And Minka Fitzpatrick. Xavier Howard of the Miami Dolphins, cornerback, tons of interceptions the last few years. Just got a new contract. He's at 40 to 1, as is Marcus Peters, Jadavian Clowney, and Bradley Chubb of the Denver Broncos. Devin Bush, 100 to 1. Uh, Leonard Williams, 100 to 1. DeForest Buckner, 100 to 1. Quentin Williams, 100 to 1. Chris Jones, Ken of the Kansas City Chiefs. Fifty to one. So now that we've got that out there, those are the yeah. names that you need to know about here on the odds board. Chandler Jones also a miss by me at forty to one. Uh, Ken, what do you got for us here in your research? Defensive Player of the Year.
4: Um, I think we can narrow down the list like really quickly, and uh, and we can use like several qualifiers in order to do it. Um, there are like three like three types of players. Obviously the win defensive player of the year, one is more likely than the other two. So you have like sack artists. Those are the players most likely to win by a pretty good amount. doesn't mean they always win, but they're the most likely to win. That's why they're the favorites in the market. That makes sense. It's not like the market's broken. This market is pretty efficient in terms of how it prices players. So your sack artists are your most likely, uh, your sort of do everything linebacker would be another category, another bucket of player. And then secondary players would be a third bucket of player. Sack artists are more likely than the other two. So that's why they're priced that way. It's correct that they're priced that way. In the history of the award, they win more often than the other two. It's really not distinguishable who wins next between the other two, just that both don't win as often as SAC artists. And so that's like a good thing to keep in mind just as we start here Um, because we're going to kind of try to identify players, I think, in each bucket, honestly, that would be good bets. In terms of looking at since 2000, so this is the last 21 award winners, things become very predictable and obvious right away. And what I mean by that is that, 16 of the 21 players that won defensive player of the year award had already made a pro bowl team, uh, or sorry, already made an all team, uh, all pro team, first team, all pro 16 of the 21. So like, even the year before they won, they were the best player. Like they were already awesome. Nobody comes out of nowhere to win like ever with like one exception, basically since 2000, it just doesn't happen. Like it's just not only do you have to be good, you have to go from good to great, to you're the best player at your position. And then maybe you win. To so like that's...
3: hall of fame potential. Yes,
4: correct. And uh, so I, I just, I'll say that said again, cause I butchered it. I was going to do pro bowl first. Nice. I audibled at the last second, 16 of the last 21 defensive player of the year award winners had a first team all pro selection prior to the year that they won, not the year that they won, where they would obviously be first team all pro even prior to the year that they won. So like, you know, these guys, the guy who's going to win, you know, him. <laughs> like you definitely know him. It's not somebody you don't know. Part of that is that the people who vote, it's the AP defensive player of the year award. It is voted by the media. Most of the media don't watch out of market games. They have to know it's a huge name in order to vote for that player. Like it's a really obvious narrative award. You have to be awesome and do commercials and people have to know who you are and you do that because you made a first team all pro already. Uh, it is not surprising then that 19 of the 21 made a pro bowl prior to that so obviously you expanded out from all pro to pro bowl even more players fall under into that net basically the only two that basically one went from didn't do anything to one defensive player of the year there are only two and they actually occurred in back-to-back seasons that was 2012 and 2013 in 2012 j.j watt won he was in his second season he is one of only two players to ever win their second season. No rookie is one.
3: Now I'm some sure. people, now some people would say that maybe that was aided by some, I would never say that though.
4: Never, that some would never, people may, would never some
3: people it. may yeah. make that case. I would never say something like that.
4: Right. <laughs> so JJ Watt in 2012, we can get of that a little bit. Uh I think two things really helped him in addition. Uh, One, he had 20 and a half sacks. So if you did, if you showed up and you were a carpenter the year before and then you had 20 and a half sacks, it wouldn't really matter whether we didn't know you or not. That's such an insane number of sacks. You could win the award. He also played with a quarterback that year in Matt Schaub, who's like the definition of mediocre, like milk toast. Don't people don't know him very well. So he immediately becomes the face of the franchise. That also helps him to win. The next year, Luke keekley actually won the award. He was in his second season. He hadn't done anything prior, but he had been defensive rookie of the year in his first year. So even though he wasn't a pro bowler, or wasn't a first ball I believe he was. Might have been a reserve pro bowler. Um, You know, like you could see the arc coming still like it wasn't really out of nowhere. And like those are the fringe case. Those are the edge cases. Everyone else. It's like multiple all pro teams <laughs> like been in the league for a few years. Like it's just you know who the guys are. So I think that's really, really important. And it's not just that they've made uh made a Pro Bowl, 13 of the 21, made the Pro Bowl the previous year. So it's not like you go, you're bad for a few years, then you're like back to winning again. You actually have to have been awesome very, very, very recently. I think that makes a lot of sense too. In a lot of the cases where the player did not make the Pro Bowl the previous year, it's almost all because he was hurt and he actually made the Pro Bowl the year before that and the year before that. So it wasn't like he got worse, he just got injured. That's basically all that happened. That explains literally almost every case in the last 20 years. So the point of all those three statistics to kind of wrap them all together is like, it's a known quantity who's been awesome and has been recognized as awesome with all of the accolades that come with that. It's not a rookie. It's probably not a second year guy. And if it is, they have to have a ton of hype and have to have like sort of a ton of accolades already on their resume in order for that to be true. Um, Or be using
3: using deer antler spray.
4: There we go. So, <laughs> or, uh, a couple other qualifiers that I think matter significantly. I asked you the trivia question before the break that where Strahan was one of the answers only two players since 2000 have won this award with their team finishing under 500 actually even 500 or below uh nine wins or more for the other 19 selections the two players who wanted going under 500 Michael Strahan well why did he win gee I wonder if it's because he broke the single season sack
3: by the way and both of these guys are in the hall of fame as well Strahan, correct and and
4: Jason and Jason Taylor had one of the craziest statistical seasons basically ever had 13 and a half sacks nine forced fumbles and two defensive touchdowns and still almost lost the award to champ Bailey. <laughs> like, like that's what it took for somebody to go below 500 with their team. So it really is, it becomes a team award and it kind of becomes a team award where like the team has to be really good. 10 plus wins basically is what you're looking for. And 10 plus wins where there is isn't interference from the quarterback where they could win MVP. So you don't get, the, there has never been an overlap where the same team has won defensive player of the year in MVP since 2000 has not happened. So if you've got like Mahomes. And you've got Brady and you've got Russell Wilson and you've got those guys like established huge name starters you don't produce a defensive player of the year award, basically like the Patriots have been the best team of the last two decades. The only time a Patriot won defensive player of Gilmore, the year right? was two years ago with Gilmore and Brady had his worst season of all time. Like that's what it took for that to happen. And he was on his way out, basically like Drew Brees, been with the saints forever, you know, who's never had a player of the year, the saints Peyton Manning with the Colts and the Broncos only Bob Sanders, Bob Sanders is the Sanders, one who's right? won the award. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, think about and Manning had already won MVPs by them. Like, think about what it takes. Like you really can't be overshadowed by like a super duper star quarterback on your same team now it can be a young quarterback who's like coming into his own we see that all the time so aaron Rodgers year two that was when charles woodson won cam newton year three was when keekley won neither of those guys had won an mvp award yet so it's not, it's not like every quarterback that might be good is going to stop a guy from winning but like if you've got like the guy like one of those like and there aren't that many left and there's probably like seven maybe <laughs> but if you got like one of those guys like you probably can't win. Like you actually probably can't win. So just to frame the discussion there, some qualifiers about, okay, so you're looking for like successful team, which really, really matters. And like that'll eliminate a lot of people right away. Made the all pro team already. And like I have the all-Pro team from last year. like you immediately restrict this list to like nine people, um, made a pro Bowl before, usually multiple ones. So like the the type of resume that has to exist for somebody to win this is insane. And because of that, it restricts the list greatly in terms of who I think can win the award. So I'll kind of throw it back here, just knowing all of those things, and I know you have a list of guys that you like. Do your players generally fit that profile? Do they kind of break away from that profile? Like, how did you end up kind of doing your analysis? I
3: think, all, I don't know if the three players I have fit every single bucket that you throw out there. Well, but that, they're if it's most,
4: that's good. Yeah,
3: Yeah. so so I have three names written down here. You better get okay. okay. back QL Costos Barkley talking defensive player of the year in the National Football League. I got three names, three okay. names circled, one of which I talked about on yesterday's show. It should, should surprise nobody, Chase Young. I, I right. just think he might be the best defensive player in football this year. He's on the shop saying he's going to kill everybody. I believe him. I believe him, man. I right. really do. I believe Chase Young. Chase Young, twelve to one to. He makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense to betters. And then I've got two guys written down at thirty three to one.
4: One. Ooh, I wonder if we agree on this because I have one a guy of who them in that price range as well. Yeah.
3: One of them has never won NFL MVP, but this player has won a Super Bowl MVP, oh, okay. and he's returning from injury. That player is Vaughn Miller of the Denver Broncos. Now, Vaughn, of course, is coming off a torn ACL. Maybe he's going to lose a step here. I'm willing to bet that in the Vic Fangio defense with Bradley Chubb on the other side here, Denver's absolutely loaded. The secondary is awesome. You know, quarterbacks are going to have to get rid of the ball quickly or they're going to get killed by one of these two pass rushers. So I think it's actually like a great price on Vaughn, getting Vaughn at a discount, a future first ballot Hall of Famer at 33-1. to And the third and final player that I've got here, Is at 33 to 1. And I texted a couple people that I respect in the NFL today and said, Hey, what do you think of Defensive Player of the Year? And I threw out a bunch of players and a bunch of people.
4: This is going to be They they
3: all came back with the same name. Oh, I hope it's the guy I picked. Please let it be the guy I picked. That name, Devin White
4: from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers.
3: All right. Everyone loves Devin White this year. Now, full disclosure. Devin White, I'm—I don't think was going to be one of the guys that I highlighted here. But then I thought more about it, and you think, okay, let's say Brady doesn't win MVP this year, and I'm kind of on record saying that I think the Bucks are going to have like a historic season potentially, or I 15 do. and two, 16 in one year. Maybe Brady doesn't win the MVP. Maybe he does. But if let's say Brady doesn't win MVP, you know, Rogers has a crazy, Mahomes has a Josh Allen, any of these guys has a crazy year, whatever. The Bucks are going to be awesome. Devin White's the best player on the defense. Bowles gets a ton of hype, obviously, as a defensive coordinator. I think White's hype is going to go through the roof this year if and when Tampa's defense is as good as we think it might be. So, Ken, Chase Young, 12 to 1, Von Miller, 33 to 1, Devin White, 33 to 1, three names that I have starred right now.
4: Sure, uh, let's put them in their respective buckets so we can just go through the buckets here for a few minutes because I think that's interesting and I think there, there's interesting things to say about all of them. So sack artists would be the first bucket. These will be your lower priced guys. The guys that are the favorites, like shocker to anyone, like they could all win. So like you can't exclude, like Miles Garrett can win. Miles Aaron Garrett could easily win. Miles Garrett can win, Aaron Donald can win, T.J. Watt can win. Um, those are probably the three sack artists that stand out the most. The two first-team all-pro defensive ends last year were T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett. The first-team all-pro defensive tackle was Aaron Donald. So, like, these guys immediately fit the profile. They check all the boxes. It could be as simple as if one of them is priced crazily higher than the other. So, spoiler alert, there's a T.J. Watt 11 out there. There's also a 10. And the other two, their average price is like 4, 6 that could be the difference i like all three which one's the highest price like i don't have to love one versus the others i just have to love the price so if you're pricing those three guys like that might be the thing that decides it for you a lot of the guys further down don't really have the resumes as sack artists to sort of do it nick bosa and joey bosa both have never made an all pro team joey bosa's made three pro bowls he's in year six like is he really going to do it so that's kind of interesting we probably have to continue this honestly as we go because i haven't even given picks yet so maybe we find some time like in the power hour or something but it's worth noting like of the sack artists von miller is the one that gives you the biggest discount versus the production which is why i think that's really interesting 11th season so he's kind of in that like charles woodson tail end like it has to be pretty special doesn't happen all the time but i mean accolade wise like has all pro teams has pro bowls like isn't crazy old who's who are the quarterbacks on his team perfect he won't be overshadowed by them whatsoever so he does he's an interesting case Because even though he's an older candidate, he does check those boxes and he's a sack artist. So he's the most likely player to win in terms of type, except that his price is so much larger than the other. So I agree with you. I think he is an interesting bet of the three sack artists that are favorites. It's like whichever one has the highest price. So that's one of the three buckets. We can at least tie a bow on that, especially just using the all pro and pro bowl lists from the last couple years. And especially last year, you really limit the players that have a reasonable chance to win to like 15, maybe 12, something like that. I mean, it's actually a tiny list. So there are just a lot of bad bets that you can make. If your guys don't fit that description, it's very unlikely they can win the only player that I would entertain that does not fit those qualifiers is Chase Young, and basically the the blueprint for Chase Young winning is the blueprint for J.J. Watt winning. J.J. Watt won in his second season with Matt Schaub as his quarterback, with a team that won 12 games and had done nothing prior to winning the award. It was the second season. He had won no awards. He had done nothing. No Pro Bowl, no All-Pro. Um, that's Chase Young. Like, Ryan Fitzpatrick is his quarterback. He's going to play on a team that has a really good defense. Like, they have the potential to win, like, 9, 10, 11 games if they're over 500. He's in contention. J.J. Watt had 20 and a half sacks that year. That's how he was able to win despite having no buildup, no accolades that kind of let people know that he existed. Chase Young has more juice coming into the season than that, so he's the only player that doesn't fit that I would throw in the group. Um, The players in each bucket that fit, honestly. We can just go through them really briefly. So there's sack artists, the ones who are the most likely to win. Then you have kind of do-it-all linebackers and secondary players in some order. The the previous two are basically tied, but sack artists are more likely. That's why they're the favorites. Um, Players who fit this profile that are sort of the sack artist type would basically just be, and there aren't many of them. I mean, it would basically just be like, TJ Watt and Miles Garrett, if you throw Aaron Donald in the group, great. Like neither Bosa actually kind of fits the description, and they're both like I guess could win, but neither has made an all-pro team. The media hates
3: both of them, also is something that needs to be said. I, I, yeah. I actually, I actually mean that sincerely. Like no matter what you, the person right. like listening right now, thinks of their politics specifically, Nick, like chances are like it's not going to go well when it comes down to award time. I think right. It's
4: true. So I think it's just like literally like those three, and then Chase Young if you throw him in that. So I would say like don't venture outside that group, and then Von Miller is your long shot in that group if you really want to go with it. Do it all linebacker like the first team all pro linebackers last year were Fred Warner and Darius Leonard that I think fit this description Bobby Wagner was another but he plays with Russell Wilson I don't think he can ever win so it's really one of those two guys I mean If you really like Darius Leonard, he's 33 to one. That would be like your do it all linebacker. Fred Warner would maybe be another candidate. Both those guys winning would fit secondary guys. There are two guys I actually think are really interesting. Two of your first team all pro uh, or previous all pro winners. Both are entering year five and year six, respectively. Both have made a pro bowl. Both have made an all pro team. Both play corner for teams that I think could have like either the number one defense or a top five defense this year. Tredavious White, who I've seen as good as 40-1 to one, to win for Buffalo. I think there's a chance they might have the best defense this year. And Zavian Howard, who's also at 40-1. to one. These are two guys that like check every single box and are sort of longer shots that are obviously not Nick's favorite term, sack artists. So those are kind of your buckets of players who actually really have a chance to win.
5: Great stuff there from Nick and Ken. Once again, you can listen to You Better You Bet on the Beck QL Network 2 to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. And in Chicago, you can listen on 105.9 hd2 i may have after that conversation put something in on chase young and sprinkled a little on von miller in that defensive player of the year market when we come back we'll hear conversations that nick and ken had on you better you bet with john murray from the westgate Superbook and drew silva of NBC sports edge that's coming up next on early odds on 670 the score Welcome back to Early Odds. I'm Recampin for Joe Ostrowski this week. A quick reminder before we get back to the conversations at hand. With the Bears playing at noon, make sure to tune in to our sister station WBBM 780 AM and 105.9 FM. The Bears are actually favored in the game because the Bills are sitting out a lot of their impactful players, including Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs. So that means Mitch Trubisky gets the start in Soldier Field for the Bills for preseason game number two. All right, back to some of the conversations from this week that were had on You Better You Bet on BetQL. I always think it's interesting to hear from bookmakers just to get their perspective on the markets that are out there. And on you better you bet this week, Nick Costos and Ken Barkley had a conversation with John Murray from the Westgate Superbook about some of the college football markets that are open right now. So take a listen.
3: What's the most interesting or noteworthy like bet that you've taken, or the most interesting or noteworthy thing from your vantage point as it concerns the college football season that we are again starting in a couple of weeks here?
2: Uh,
1: I don't know about interesting. I mean, we've got some big tickets out there. I know people like to people like to hear about that. I mean, we got. One guy's got five thousand on Texas to win it all at eighty to one to win four hundred grand, which was uh, which was one of our bigger bets we've seen this year. And uh, one guy came in uh, a couple of weeks ago, bet Arizona Arizona Wildcats over eight and a half. He bet that for twenty five thousand, which was a pretty big uh, pretty big number to lay on a college football win total. And there's some other big ones out there. We got a guy that's got twenty five hundred on Miami to win the national title at a hundred to one to win a quarter of a million. I thought it was strange because you got to think Miami's going to lose their first game. I would imagine that they will lose to Alabama at least, at which yes. time that number would, would likely go up a little bit. Uh, we had one guy come in. he bet 30,000 each on Alabama to win it all at 2 to one and Alabama to win the SEC at minus 140. He laid 30000 flat on both of those. So it's good to see these kinds of bets showing up at the counter. Customers we don't know that are just showing up looking to make big wagers. We didn't really get that last summer because of COVID, and we are getting it this summer, and the guys definitely like seeing that.
4: Well, John, it's really interesting you mentioned uh, the futures market, so to win the college football playoff and some of the bets – that you've taken you mentioned Miami and Texas and you know maybe teams that would be very surprising to win you mentioned Alabama and they're you know basically the favorite right now in terms of what you guys are generally rooting for every single year you know college football as you know, such a top heavy sport, you know, like, I think we just did that stat like teams in the top six of the preseason poll. Like, so literally before the season starts, the champion almost always comes from like the top five or the top six. What do you guys generally need as the season goes along? Like, do you need Alabama or do you need like something a little unorthodox that maybe creates a big win for you?
1: You know, it's usually not Alabama because people always bet them, even though they are the favorite, even though there doesn't seem to be much value on them. We usually don't win on Alabama. We usually win on the other favorites around Alabama, somebody like Clemson, somebody like Ohio State, where the odds aren't the odds aren't high enough to really build up a big liability, but they're also not Alabama, which gets everyone's money. Right now we do very well on both those two teams I mentioned, Clemson and Ohio State. We win to Georgia as well. We do lose to Oklahoma a little bit. Oklahoma's been an extremely popular team in the future book this year, but you're right. College football is so top-heavy, and I saw one of the questions that – the producers wanted me to answer was, who's your your outside looking in team to make the college football playoff? I have no idea. I mean, college football playoff seems to be the same six schools rotating the four spots. So I, I don't know what kind of value you can get in a long shot until they do finally expand the college football playoff, which I'm sure they will someday.
3: All right, John. Well, let's talk about you know week zero and week one, which are rapidly approaching here. What can you tell us here about you know anything interesting that you guys have seen here? Uh, with the big games there, and you know with the big one obviously coming up, Clemson, the three and a half point favorite against Georgia on Saturday, September fourth. Total in that one fifty two and a half. So week zero or week one, John? Anything noteworthy that you guys have taken?
1: Yeah. That's an awesome game, by the way. Clemson, Georgia. College football is doing a great job of getting us going right away. The first the first real week of football season, we get a monster game. We had some sharp guys take four and three and a half with the Bulldogs. Right now we're at Clemson minus three. Uh, I'd say really the sharpest side we've seen so far would have to be uh, that the Friday before that game, I just mentioned the Michigan state Northwestern game. That's Friday, September 3rd, really sharp money on Michigan state plus six. We went all the way to four. They took four. And right now we've got Northwestern minus three and a half in that game. Somebody sees something they like about Sparty. Uh, that's definitely a very sharp side in that first week
4: Uh, that's interesting given that like both teams you know Northwestern was great last year Michigan State obviously not very good but one team brings nothing back Mm -hmm. Northwestern so it's interesting that people like Michigan State in that game John we haven't really talked about win totals yet as well we talked about college football playoff futures you gave us some week zero and week one bets there is there a, a side of a win total I have to imagine sometimes like sharps bet you like you know Akron like under something and you end up with some weird lopsided position because like the public's not gonna bet Mac teams or Sunbelt teams or whatever. Have you found yourself kind of like lopsided on any of these win totals for some of these obscure teams?
1: A couple of them are like that, but it's usually it's the way that we try to to sculpt our decisions. You know, you can see what else is out there on the market, and you know exactly what the board cleaner type players are gonna take, and you can set the numbers exact exactly where you want them to write the bets that you want to write. I'll give you an example. We think that the number on Washington, the Washington Huskies, is a little high. I see some nines out there. So we've got an eight-and-a-half trying to write over money on Washington. They've got a tough schedule. They go at Michigan, at Arizona, at Stanford, at Colorado. They play Oregon and Arizona State at home. Tough schedule for Washington. So we're trying to take some over bets there because we like the Huskies under nine this season. But, you know, we're not always right when we do that, guys. Sometimes that works out well, and sometimes (laughs) we don't look so good.
3: Chatting college football the upcoming season with the great John Murray. He is on Twitter at Vegas Murray. John, what can you tell us about the Heisman Trophy market as we head into the season?
1: You know, that's that's a market we've, we've struggled in over the years, guys. Uh, it's a market like we got crushed the year that Lamar Jackson won the Heisman. That was brutal. I think it was topped only by how much we lost when Lamar Jackson won the NFL MVP two years after that. <laughs> uh, that, that guy's crushed us over the years, but uh, right now the guy that we're fading is definitely JT Daniels. He's been bet all the way down from 25 to one to 12 to one other than him. I mean, I think we're okay. We had a guy come in. He bet, he got a thousand dollars on Brees Hall at 80 to one. And we, we lowered him down to 40 to one. We, we really tell our, our, our guys at, at night, if they come in looking to bet the MVP or the Heisman and they're betting on a non quarterback, go ahead and take the bet because we we expect a quarterback to win these trophies every year. I know that Devontae Smith just won the Heisman. But I'm saying in general we always want to book it to need to need a quarterback to win. And and right now, other than JT Daniels, we're in good shape on everybody. We're in good shape on Rattler, Spencer Young, CJ Stroud, all the all the, the favorites, we're in pretty good shape right now. But That changes over the course of the season, and you see these numbers change drastically from week to week, especially after a really high-profile game like the Clemson-Georgia game we have coming up in a few weeks. And it's a pool you've got to monitor very closely because one person can come in and snap you on one of these guys and put you into the negative.
4: John, I know you mentioned it with the Washington Huskies and their win total that you guys kind of have your opinions and sometimes that shades how you guys shape lines. So obviously you guys have opinions. I mean, you book a lot of action and you, and you watch mm-hmm. all the games. If if I you know asked you for your, your favorite bet right now, whether it's a win total over or under team to win the title seems unlikely because it's top heavy or I mean, it could be a Heisman Trophy guy. If you want to go that way as well. What's a bet that you really like that's on the board right now?
1: Well, I singled I, I out Washington because I, I uh, that is a team I like under, under nine for sure. I think that, that schedule is pretty tough for them. And then we also, um, we also like Buffalo to go under their win total. We've, we're dealing a very low number on them. We've got six and a half, over 40 on Buffalo. We've taken a lot of money on the over there intentionally because we like them under. I can't give you guys a Heisman pick. I have absolutely no idea. I, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't have any clue. I, I don't know what's going to happen there whatsoever. Um, and as far as the national championship, it's tough. It's tough to, it's tough to say that, that so-and-so is, is a good bet to win the national championship. Like even Clemson, I look at their schedule, and I think to myself, man, if they get through Georgia, they'll be a big favorite. They're basically a lock to make it to the college football playoff, almost a lock even if they do lose the game to Georgia in a few weeks because they should be able to run the table in the ACC. But is it really value at 5-1? When they've got to play alabama or play ohio state and win two games in that in that brackets uh, style play at the end of the season i don't think so so i i don't know that i can give a good future bet in college football
5: it's just too tough It's too top heavy it really can be frustrating at times to deal with college football when you want to get that big score but it's just so hard to find because college football can be so top heavy before we get to the you better you bet conversation with drew silva of nbc sports edge about major league baseball Just a reminder, Inside the Clubhouse coming on at the top of the hour. And in the next segment, I'm going to have a conversation with Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse. But Drew Silva of NBC Sports Edge is fantastic when it comes to handicapping Major League Baseball and as we come down the stretch, he was on with Nick and Ken, and the guy started by asking Drew what chance he really thinks Fernando Tatis Jr. has of winning the NL MVP.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that Tatis is the guy. If he stays healthy at all the rest of the way, it it made sense to put a ticket down on, on Bryce Harper or Max Muncy or Freddie Freeman or Zach Wheeler, when Tatis hit the injured list yet again with that ongoing shoulder issue, what was it, his third IL stint because of the shoulder this year alone? And hey, there's a chance that it pops out again and those odds do another rapid shift. It's, it's no secret that Tatis's shoulder isn't exactly stable and a player of a different age and different level of athleticism might have already gone for season-ending surgery. He will need surgery eventually, but uh, the dude is just a marvel. He seems to homer or or steal a base or do something special anytime he is active and in the Padres lineup. Harper deserves a lot of credit. I mean, he it feels like he's gone from being called the most overrated player in baseball, even by his peers. There was that uh, Sports Illustrated Players Poll that came out a few years ago, and he was called the, the most overrated player in baseball by his fellow athletes in the league. Um, but now it feels like he's one of the most underrated players in baseball, which probably has to do with that 13-year, $330 million mega deal that he signed with the Phillies, who've been pretty mediocre since acquiring him. But, but yeah, that medi- mediocrity has never really been Harper's fault. I, I like Lily Adamas, too, not from a betting standpoint, but I, I think he will get some down-ballot MVP votes for what he's done since the Brewers acquired him from the Rays in May. The really crafty move. I saw this stat on Twitter earlier today. Adamas had another two hits on Tuesday night and is now batting 300 with a 930 OPS, 16 home runs, 48 RBIs, and 49 runs scored in 75 games with the Brewers. And in those 75 games, the Brewers are 52 and 23. So, yeah, I mean, they've run away with the NL Central because of their pitching. You know, namely, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, and, and Josh Hader and Devin Williams in the bullpen. But they needed some offense to pair with all of those elite arms and creatively acquired some. That, there's a dangerous team for you come October is, is Milwaukee.
3: I think we agree with that. We've loved Milwaukee all season. Now, Drew, the Yankees right now, 7-1 to to win the American League pennant, 15-1 to to win the World Series. Where are you at right now on the futures prospects for my New York Yankees?
0: And 15-1 to, to to win the World Series, huh? <laughs> I like that.
4: Sounds good. Okay. I mean,
0: I do feel like the Yankees have just enough pitching to get by um, between Garrett Cole and Jordan Montgomery. Jamison Tyon's been really good. Uh, Luis Heal, like the first ever Yankees pitcher to begin his career with three straight scoreless starts. Corey Kluber's on a minor league rehab assignment now. I believe he made his second start in the minors on Tuesday night. The bullpen has a nice combination of, like, surprise pieces and some proven guys. as Chapman came off the I.L. just before we hopped on here. Um, and then to finally get some left-handed power in Anthony Rizzo and Joey Gallo at the deadline with a park in Yankee Stadium that was built for left-handed power. Yeah, man, at 15-1 to 1 to win the World Series, I, I think I would
4: snag that. One other uh, rate, so Nick gave you the Yankees prices, and you were kind of like, hmm, like, sounds interesting. It's rare to have, I feel like, with you know, 40 games left, basically, so many of these division prices. It's like, oh, like, what are the White Sox ah, minus, literally, not going to give you a bet on it, like, actually can't bet it. And so many of the other divisions work the same way. It's kind of rare to have a, a division race down the stretch where, you know, with so few games left, it's like basically kind of pick them each way in terms of which of the two teams you think is going to win that's what we have in the NL West right now where despite the fact that the Dodgers are still uh, four games back I think of the San Francisco Giants Giants minus 125 Dodgers minus 112 so Giants just a tiny favorite basically to win the NL West despite having a multi-game lead you know 40 games from now basically when the season is over who do you think is more likely to win the division the Giants or the Dodgers
0: Ooh. I've would. i been trying to – so I do the power rankings column at NBC Sports Edge that comes out every Tuesday, a shameless plug. And I put the Giants at the top like 12 weeks ago um, and was thinking it would be kind of like a one-week, two-week run. But they're still up there um, here as we move into late August. And I've been waiting for them to kind of fall off, and they just haven't. Chris Bryant has been a great trade deadline pickup um, they somehow lead the, the entire major leagues in combined home run total, even though like they don't have one specific standout star when it comes you know to a power standpoint. I believe they have 11 different players that are in the double digits in home runs. And then Kevin Gosman and Logan Webb was terrific again on Tuesday night. Um, so I, I feel like it'd be foolish at this point to doubt them. I think really the, the lead story in the West is the Padres falling flat you know, which has opened things up for the Reds and, and the Phillies and even somehow the Cardinals and the NL wild card. Um, I dropped the Padres to number 10 in my power rankings this week after they get they got no hit by someone named Tyler Gilbert on Saturday <laughs> in Arizona. <laughs> Wound up losing three of four in that series against the Diamondbacks. Uh, just one win over their last seven games, and they turned to Jake Arrieta today in Colorado, and that didn't go well. That's how desperate San Diego is for pitching At the moment, when it looked like to begin the season that the Padres had maybe the best pitching depth in baseball, possibly behind only the Dodgers. And now you look at the Dodgers and their pitching depth too. the Trevor Bauer situation. Kershaw remains sidelined. Who Urias is out still? Tony Gonsolin, Cole Hamels didn't even throw a pitch before they had to rule him out for the year. Um. So I think I'd go with the Giants to take that division, and I think the the NL Wild Card is going to get really interesting um, as as the Padres kind of try to tread tread water here down the stretch.
3: You better you bet bet QL Nick Costos Ken Barkley chatting Major League Baseball with our pal Drew Silva of the NBC Sports Edge. Drew is on Twitter at Drew Silva S I. LV, Drew. I want to go from the National League West to the National League East, where somehow, some way, the Atlanta Braves, dealing with so many injuries, including to stud Ronald Acuna, find themselves in first place, two and a half games. As we as we do this on Wednesday of the Philadelphia Phillies, four and a half games up on the New York Mets, and as such, the Braves are the favorite, of course, to win the NL East, nearly minus two hundred, minus one ninety-five. The Phils plus two fifty, and the free-falling Mets got called up by their owner Steve Cohen. Uh, the Mets now at plus four fifty. What about the National League East here, Drew?
0: I do feel like the Phillies have the best top end talent in that division between Bryce Harper and JT Realmuto and Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, uh, especially with some of the pieces the Mets are missing right now, specifically Jacob deGrom, who I guess there was a report before we hopped on that they might just shut him down for the year. Um, Javier Baez, Francisco Lindor, both out um, maybe through next week, but, I mean, not to pick favorites like throughout this entire segment, that's not the best radio for your, your listeners who are looking for values, but I would go Braves. They very smartly reshaped their outfield uh, at the deadline after losing, like you said, Ronald Acuna Jr. to the ACL tear, and then or Marcelo Zuna to the off-field stuff that we don't need to talk about. And Another infield has been collectively red hot for over a month now. Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Travis Darno is back from that thumb ligament tear. Husker Inoa returned to the rotation on Tuesday after he fractured his hand when he got into, a, I guess we'll call it a misguided boxing match with a dugout ben- bench a few months ago. Um, don't fight inanimate objects, kids. They're they're undefeated. <laughs> um, Ian Anderson pitched well in his latest rehab outing at, I believe it was Triple A Gwinnett. So the Braves should have the arms. Uh, to go along with the offense to pull this off down the stretch. I'd say that's the most well-rounded roster right now in the NL East. The Phillies have the top-end talent, but there are certainly some depth issues on that squad. All
5: right, one more segment to go on early odds before Inside the Clubhouse takes over at the top of the hour. I'll talk with Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse and maybe see if he has any, uh, any snaps in him at left tackle because... Lord knows the Bears could probably use it right now. I'm Rick Camp. I'm in for Joe Ostrowski on Early Odds here on 670 The Score. Welcome back to Early Odds on 670 The Score. I'm Rick Camp in for Joe Ostrowski. Gets a nice week off before NFL Madness really kicks off. We're in the middle of week two of the preseason. Bears kicking off at noon against the Buffalo Bills, but... If you're a Loyal Early Odds listener, you know what's happening right now. We're talking with Jim Miller from Hawthorne Racecourse. Follow him on Twitter at Hawthorne Jim. Jim, how are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing good, Rick. Yeah, I'll tell you. Uh, You got preseason football going on. The uh, Sox in the midst of a uh, pennant race here. Bulls and Blackhawks making moves. So it is. It's fun in the Chicagoland sports scene right now.
5: And I know PointsBet is keeping everybody active and on their toes anyway. So what's going on at PointsBet right now?
2: Well, there's a couple things going on. First off, we talk time and again, Rick, about how you have to watch with these sites, how they're going to hit, give you the opportunity to give free money. And that's what PointsBet's doing now with their Brady booster. And basically what it is, is they're giving you $10 for free. You go down to PointsBet, you make a $10 wager. Tom Brady just has a throw for one yard in the first game of the season against Dallas, and you're going to get a free $10 for that. So that's one thing you want to check out. But the other thing we talked time and again, Rick, is a lot of sites here in the state of Illinois, wanted to do everything they could to get you to sign up initially and there were a lot of bonuses out there there were a lot of just nice kind of money match type of things but a lot of those have started to diminish or go away and the one thing PointsBet has done and they've done a great job with is they've left out the promotion of the two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars so you want to check that out you can go in there sign up for PointsBet at three different locations here in in northern illinois at our three hawthorne locations And those two risk-free bets are still available for you. So if you want to shop around odds, shop around prices, maybe if you've played on some of the other sites, this might be worth checking out and you have a chance to make some pretty good money and do it for free.
5: And with that on points bet right now, Bears Bills kicks off in a couple hours. Bears sitting as four and a half point favorites. The total is 38. What did you see from week one of the preseason that you liked? And do you have a play for the Bears
2: in week two? Well, Joe and I talked about it last week, and I did back the Bears because it's the crazy thing. Now that sports betting's legalized in the state, you're, you 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 got to play the hometown team, or if you're going to watch the game, at least to have a little bit of action. I didn't put a ton of it a ton of money on there. The one thing we saw, Rick, and, and it was a trend that was really interesting, is so many unders. I mean, there were a ton of unders in the first week of the preseason. I think that trend continues. 38 still seems now. I mean, 38 used to seem like an automatic over. You tend to wonder if that's an under number now. Just because teams are struggling to score, teams are being really kind of complacent offensively. Seems like the defenses are a little bit ahead of the game here. That number seems a little bit high for me. I mean, I'd be hoping, of course, for that 3.5 number right around what we saw last week. But uh, if I'm going to watch, I'm still going to back the beloved. So I, I will be watching and backing the Bears a little bit this week.
5: With that, too, on You Better You Bet on Monday, we had Brian Baldinger on, who's an Odyssey uh, NFL insider and also has Baldi's Breakdowns, his podcast, which you can find on Odyssey. And he mentioned that in week one of the preseason that he saw more blitzing from defenses than he can remember in any week of preseason. So maybe that paired with the conservative offenses really led to some of those unders. And maybe that's an angle we can exploit a little bit.
2: Yeah, and you might want to exploit it even a little bit more here in week two of the preseason because with only three weeks, you figure, okay, they're gearing up now because everybody's going to rest everyone in that third and final week of the preseason. It wouldn't surprise me, Rick, if across the board you see a whole lot of unders again this week. Maybe the pattern changes a little bit next week leading into the start of the season as everybody's just going to try to stay healthy. But I expect a lot of blitz and I expect defenses to get game ready this week.
5: All right, along with the football, I know you've always got horse plays, so what can we make some money on today?
2: You know, we're going to the hometown track tonight at Hawthorne. Three races tonight, races seven, eight, and nine. And there's three horses that you can make some money here. Race seven, bet the seven, cranking it up across the board. This horse is eight to one in the morning line and should provide some value. Race eight, bet Dreaming Image to win. This is another horse that should get a really good setup out there. And then race nine, bet Valdana across the board. This is a horse from the inside who should show speed and be very tough. All right,
5: I definitely just wrote those down, and let's hope that I can actually read my handwriting afterwards so I can make sure to place those bets because, hey, money's money, and winning it is good, and that's what we're here for on Early Odds Jim, Always appreciate your time, man. Good to get to talk to you again.
2: You got it, Rick. Take care, good luck, and hopefully you can make some money this weekend.
5: Follow Jim on Twitter at Hawthorne. Jim, thank you for tuning in this morning to Early Odds. Follow me on Twitter at Rixie Camp. Joe will be back next week. Follow him on Twitter at JoeO670. Inside the Clubhouse is next with Bruce Levine and David Haw on 670, the score.